You're listening to a 10 Minutes on Tuesday podcast for Propel. I'm your host, James Haken from Elliott's. Thank you for downloading and enjoy. I'm here at the rooftop bar of Me London with Jonathan Siegel of The One Group. Hello, Jonathan, and thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks. It's great to be here. Let's start off by digging a little bit under the skin of The One Group. Tell me about yourself and how it came to be. So the One Group's global hospitality company was split into two divisions. We have our hotel hospitality division where we'll go into hotels, casinos, high-end uh, venues and we'll actually take over their entire food and beverage program. So for example, in the case of a hotel, we'll do the room service, the mini bars, we'll operate roofs and pools, uh, restaurants, lobby bars, lounges, etc. The other side of our business is our branded restaurant division where we have one principal brand which is SDK. It's kind of a new wave style steakhouse which really airs more on the social side of dining rather than the food side of dining and where we create these venues that have great vibe and energy become popular daytime and nighttime dining areas. Great. So we're here at Me London at the moment as I said. presume this is one of your sites. So here we do everything in the hotel. We operate room service for 147 keys or rooms. Uh, we operate the mini bars, and then this rooftop, this amazing rooftop with a fantastic view of the Thames and of uh, the South, uh, South Bank radio. In the ground floor we operate Marconi, which is a, a kind of a street bar, cocktail bar. And we have a 200-seater STK steakhouse, and then we also have a 90-seater Italian uh, Cucina Azzolina. So we do all of that, plus we'll do all the catering and banqueting in the basement. There's a 5,000-square-foot event room uh, with six breakout rooms where we'll do private dining events or fully catered functions. And within that model, it interests me particularly because I started my career in food and beverage within hotels. Were you employing all the staff and that's entirely your operation? So we operate this as a manager, effectively. Uh, The staff are the uh, hotel staff, but they will work under our our control, effectively. Uh, So we'll actually come in as as a manager. It's kind of the same way, James, as you have the... Uh, property developers that have the flags to come in under a management contract. If you look at what's happened with the, the hotel industry over the years, uh, in the 70s and 80s, the hotels realised they didn't really need to carry uh, the assets, and so they did sale and lease back. Uh, through the 90s and in the, into 2000, they realised they don't even need to do a lease back and take the contingent liability of a lease on their balance sheet, and they just did management deals. So the majority of the deals today that are done in the hotel industry are with flags taking a management deal. Ownership still owns the property, owns all of the income, flag comes in and manages. We are doing exactly the same thing in food and beverage. Uh, The ownership of the food and beverage program is down to uh, ownership of the property and we are there as a manager the same way as uh, flag is managing the sale of the rooms and the beds. Great. I remember sitting down with one of your colleagues a few months ago and one of the statements he kind of boldly made is that he doesn't think hotels can run food and beverage and that you guys do a much better job. Uh, On a personal note, I think I kind of was taken aback a little bit, but having worked within kind of more mainstream and retail food and beverage, I would certainly agree that the skills that come from this side of the sector are probably far outstrip in terms of commercial viability, those that you would tend to find in hotels. So I'm pretty nervous sitting in front of an F&B man and saying you don't do your job very well. Um, But the reality is hotels over the years have demonstrated that they don't really do food and beverage 
well. You know, their core competency is selling marketing rooms. You know, if you, if you, if you align it to the casino industry, casinos are really, really good at driving traffic, at marketing, but they're not really very good at uh, food and beverage, and so they bring in all these great chefs into the, and restaurants into their facilities. It's kind of the same, the same argument here. Uh, you know, when the hotelier gets up in the morning and goes to bed at night, he's thinking of selling his rooms, marketing them, cleaning them, uh, the guest experience within his property. When we get up and go to bed at night, the only thing we're thinking about is food and beverage, the room service, the catering, the meals, the menus, and so we really get to trade to our core competency. One of the things we mentioned earlier was obviously the STK brand. It's an interesting model, because I want to say it's your kind of casual concept, but in reality it's sitting in that space between casual and fine, it's probably contemporary with, with yeah. that kind of space. That's a great positioning. There we go. Uh, the I may borrow that if I may. No problem. <laughs> How do you find being able to trade that kind of business within a city centre location when there's so much other competition from high street retailers? So I think you really need to look at the, the history of SDK, where it came from. You know, our company is really good at, at inventing or reinventing concepts. And when we uh, opened our first SDK, we did it in the meatpacking district in New York. And uh, we started to analyze the steakhouse business. It's a very stable, safe model, the steakhouse business. But it was historically 75, 80% men, uh, food comas, big red wines. I mean, it's eat and go home. It's not eat and go out. And so what we wanted to see is if we could change the paradigm. We wanted to see if we could take the business tie out and put the girl in, if we could take the business chatter out and put the music in. This really was a whole new area or style of operation where we could take a steakhouse from what was historically just a uh, kind of a male domain, closing dinners, success on the deal, and turn it into a much more social environment. So that really gave us the opportunity when we were able to do it successfully to uh, expand the brand, not just in, in uh, city environments, but also outside of that. But you, you, you reference the city environment, and if you think about it, in the city, you know, there's, a, there's as many women working in the city today as there are men that work in the city. And one of the things when we, when we spoke to women, we did an survey, about 22 women before we opened our first SDK, and they all kind of said the same thing. They like SDKs, but the portions are too large. Nobody wants a whole cow on their plate. You know, they're very dark, wood panelling, big red wines, full of male testosterone. It was just not a comfortable environment. So we really wanted to see if we could create a steakhouse that was that was a steakhouse but would appeal to female sensibility. And we did it by changing the menu. We don't have crab cakes, we have crab salads. We have you know, as many salads as we have steaks. We have a light addition, everything comes in small, medium and large. And there's an interesting anecdote on that. When we first opened SDK, we worked out how to do a mini T-bone. How great is that, a mini T-bone steak? Do you know something? Men ordered it more than women. Oh, really? You know, because the truth of the matter is, you know, we are more health conscious about what we eat. We are more conscious about what we eat. And so by creating a menu that actually appealed to female sensibility, by the same token, we were actually appealing uh, indirectly to the male market as well. By putting DJs in the restaurants, it's not because we're a club, because a DJ will read the room, play the right music to the, the demographic. And once people are engaged in music, two things happen. They become more sociable uh, and the vibe and energy increases. You need, you need a good mix between men and women for, to be social. An average SDK is 55% women. The average steakhouse is 75% men. So we, we, we hit on that balance. But as, a, as they become more sociable and the vibe increases, two things happen. People eat faster and they drink more.
So we created these real social dining environments that really are contemporary, to use borrow the word that you nicely used there, which really is like the whole new phase of dining. And we're in that phase of dining today. People want more from their night out. You know, it's very competitive, it's expensive to eat out these days. So people are looking for a little bit more than just a great meal. They want a great experience. And and dining is about social, isn't it? We all got together as family, as kids, and we'd fight for that piece of bread and for that chicken. You know, I want the white meat, and I'm fighting my sisters for the white meat, and they're sitting there, and they got it, and we're talking about what we did in the day. And really, dining is going back to that much more social and uh, a social and fun uh, experience than just sitting down and having a great meal. One of the things that really strikes me with everything you've said is that fundamentally, you, you've we've talked about being from Jersey, but uh, we'll, we'll say that fundamentally British one way or another I'm completely British there we go absolutely <laughs> Marmite sandwich bread Quaver crisps can't get any of those in America before reading all of the kind of the, the information you'd sent over before the interview one of the questions I was going to ask is around how how a Brit can transfer some of the learnings from here to the US and be successful there because I think there's so many other people in our sector here actively trying to hit the US market right now but it's kind of odd that you kind of did it the other way around you moved to the US set up another brand and then transferred it back here is that right? So our company originated in the island of Jersey. Uh, the Modern Group has a leisure hospitality company. We owned hotels, bars, catering, uh, coaching, uh, cabaret halls. And, you know, I kind of saw that Jersey was under stress from the, as a tourist destination, and we had a big uh, investment out there. Uh, I didn't really want to come to England because I was nervous. Uh, you know, it's my hometown. I didn't want to fail here. So I thought, if I go to America where nobody knows me, I can maybe learn something new about hospitality. So you were looking for a New Jersey? So I'm looking for New Jersey, yeah. So it's funny, when I'm out there, they say to me, where are you from? And I go, Jersey. They go, no, you're not, because they just think the world doesn't exist beyond the East Coast. So, uh, so we went over, I went over to America, and I kind of took everything that I learned, everything that I learned from uh, hospitality in Jersey and in England, I wanted to translate that into kind of an America, an American way. Uh, America's really good on service, it's really good on hospitality. It's not necessarily any better in England on creation of concepts um, or innovation, but it's certainly very good on service and hospitality. So I went to America, New York, one of the hardest cities to trade in in the world, didn't really know anybody, uh, just went slowly so I could learn that. And when I felt really confident that I was now able to operate hospitality and food and beverage at a higher level, I then had the confidence to come back to England. So it was like a homecoming for me. I was nervous about coming from Jersey uh, to operate in England. I wanted to learn more city life, and I thought, well, I'll go over there and learn, and then I'll bring it back. And now the UK is our, is our launch pad for our European, Middle East, and Far Eastern uh, operations. Uh, we're here in London. We have seven venues, including the hospitality at the Me Hotel and the Hippodrome Casino in Leicester Square. Uh, we're building now in Ibiza in Spain. Uh, we're in uh, building shortly in Edinburgh uh, uh, in, in Scotland. Uh, and you, England is an important launch pad for us to manage the Europe, as I said, the Middle East and the Far East. Touching on one more question before I think we have to wrap up. Recent trips I've taken to the US, it kind of feels as if, particularly London, but the UK seems to have kind of really jolted forward in respect of hospitality standards and innovation. 
And I think we quite often would have looked to the US until a few years ago for kind of all this innovation and what we should be looking at next. Would you agree that we maybe have become a bit more innovative and might even be kind of uh, edging over the line? You know something, I think England for a long time has, has led the way in innovation in, and in concept creation. You know, I always quote, and it's like a free quote for him, uh, Tim Bacon's Living Ventures in, in Manchester. I was privileged to go around them uh, a year or so ago. And any one of those venues could hold its head up anywhere in the world, and even in New York City or even in Las Vegas. Uh, and I think England's very, very good on concept creation. Uh, I think America's led the way on service and hospitality, and I now see a levelling out. I think America's learning to be more creative on concepts, uh, and I think England's uh, raising, its, raising its game on service. So I kind of actually see a levelling out. I think the unique differences are always going to be cultural or community, so that things are going to, for example, in America, the way you operate in New York is different to the way you operate in LA. It's different to the way you operate in Miami, which is the whole thing is completely different to the way you operate here in London. So I just think that there's always going to be those differentials from community or from culture, but in terms of creativity and operational and hospitality standards, I think you know there's pretty much a leveling, a leveling of the playing field now. Do you think you say that service? You think it's is still being driven in terms of probably better in the US. Do you think that's related to the whole tipping thing? Well, the tip, tipping things are an interesting thing. You know, the, the, the question of tipping has come about because of the, the dramatic increase in minimum wage. Most uh, wait staff in America will be above the minimum wage because of the tipping system. But of course, what's happening is uh, as the minimum wage goes up, so it's just effectively substantially increasing way above Stand, the industry standards, the, the, the return to, to the, the restaurant industry. So the restaurant industry is looking uh, at ways of, of minimizing that in, impact. And one of the ways is, in fact, just to increase the price by 20% and include and take away tipping. It juries out. Uh, uh, Danny Meyer, uh, Tom Colicchio, uh, Joe's Crab Shack, they've all eliminated tipping. They're pretty high-profile brands or operators. Um, there are some, those that have come out, Chili's, I think it was uh, a mid-market brand, just came out and said they're going to keep, stay with tipping. So the jury's really out on what's going to happen. But I tell you what I think will happen. I think if tipping does go away in America, we will see a reduction in the quality of service because you have career service in America that are earning you know, high five and low six-figure numbers. So you'll lose that, and I think that will have an impact on service in America. That's been really interesting. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.